0: Good morning. It's great to be with you today, uh, this Sunday, and thankful that we could uh, um, fill in for Pastor Miles today. Um, I, uh, something you don't know about me is that I have a connection with this church uh, from many, 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 many years ago. Uh, my sister, uh, and her husband were youth pastors here um, a few decades back, Uh, John and Diane Davis. Diane is my sister, and uh, they were here, and that may be well before many of your times even being part of this church, but uh, we have that uh, connection with you this morning. It's great to be here, Uh, delighted to, uh, always to preach the word of God. And I uh, hope that we can say something this morning that God can direct through us to, to touch all of our hearts by his spirit. My wife, Lita, is with me this morning. And uh, um, I, ha- I have to tell you, we're, we're, not, we're not great movie buffs. Um, we don't watch a lot of movies. But a few years back, we did, we did go uh, see the movie 42. Did any of you see that movie? Uh, some of you might remember it. it. It's the story of Jackie Robinson, who was the uh, Hall of Fame baseball player, who was the first black man to break into the major leagues. And I I, I like baseball, and Robinson was a was a tremendous player, and so the movie was really really quite interesting. But I have to say that there were some parts of that movie that were really, really uncomfortable. In one particular scene that I remember, uh, Jackie Robinson was at the plate ready to bat. And as he was standing there waiting for the, the first pitch to come, the manager of the Philadelphia team that they were playing came out of the dugout and stood at, at, on the field and uh, 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 just shouted out these blatant racial slurs at Jackie Robinson as he stood there. And the the, the tension of that moment was just gripping. Uh, in your heart, you know, you're watching this in your are you want to say, somebody go put a sock in that manager's mouth. You know, what's he saying? The, the unfairness of what was taking place was just inescapable. It was a, it was a picture of the racial divide at its very worst. Unfortunately, if you know anything about Jackie Robinson, you know that he, he hung in there, he stuck with it, and he paved the way for many, many others now to follow in his footsteps, but his story is a a very vivid reminder to all of us that walls have divided people down through the centuries. In fact, the passage of Scripture that we're going to look at this morning addresses this very issue of dividing walls, and the need for reconciliation. Uh, Pastor uh, Miles has embarked on a new series the last couple of weeks talking about our identity as followers of Christ. Who are we, really, as followers of Christ? The first week he talked about God being our Father, Last week, uh, he talked about the fact that we uh, are a child of God and what that means for us as children of God. And throughout Scripture, we find uh, a lot of pictures of the different facets of our identity as believers in Christ. And we know that. One of Satan's goals, one of his many goals, but one, one big goal that he has is to steal from us as much of our identity as he can. You know, the, uh, he's the original identity theft criminal. Uh, and so as, as, as followers of Christ, we, we want to refute those lies that he tells us about our identity and reclaim what is our true identity in Christ. And you know, you don't have to go out and purchase LifeLock to do this. Uh, the, all of this recovery of our uh, identity starts by being in Christ. I'll put that in quotes in Christ. That was, that was the Apostles'. Uh, uh, the Apostle Paul's favorite description of the believer. When we are in Christ, then God is our Father, we are His children, you and I are a child of God, but what else can we discover from God's Word about our identity in Christ? I want to take you this morning to the New Testament book of Ephesians to discover uh, another facet of our identity in Christ. And this this particular uh, point of identity is that you are reconciled. I am reconciled to God. If you have your Bibles, and you may want to turn to Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to begin reading with verse 11. Ephesians chapter 2 Verse 11, it says, Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, Excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. Now, let me stop there for a moment. Paul, in this letter to the the Ephesian church, says, therefore, remember. Now, there are some things that Scripture tells us we need to forget, You know, we need to forget those unkind words that someone said to us or those unkind acts that someone perpetrated against us. But there is one thing in particular that we are commanded to remember and never forget, and that is what we were before God's love and his grace reached down and found us. What we were, for it is only as we we remember our former state that we truly appreciate the, the, the greatness of God's grace to each one of us. And Paul is reminding the Ephesians, particularly of what they were before they came to Christ, before they found themselves in Christ. And the reason this is significant is because most of the Ephesian converts were Gentiles. Now, let me me give you a little bit of background here that will help you understand what this passage is really, the significance of this passage. It's true that God had designated the Jews as his chosen people. Date, starting way back with Abraham. God did this so that the Jews would be a blessing to the entire world. God said to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, he said, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And the scriptures are clear that God's intent has always been to save people from every nation, every race, every culture. And the key piece of God's plan was that through the Jewish people would eventually come one Jew named Jesus who would reconcile people back to God who would restore that relationship with God, and eventually to one another. So Jesus was Jewish when he walked this planet. His disciples were Jewish, as were his first converts, the early church that met in the upper room that we read about in the book of Acts, as well as the very first converts on the day of Pentecost, we're Jewish as well. But when you get a little bit further into the book of Acts, you discover that the Gentiles started converting to Christianity. They, started, they discovered the grace of Christ in their lives. And they started doing that in significant numbers. And now there's a problem. This, this creates this showdown that you find happening in the middle of the book of Acts. You have to understand that there was not a lot of love lost between these two groups of people, between the Jews and the Gentiles. For centuries, the circumcision, as, as the Jewish people were referred to, the circumcision had this... Uh, uh, they, this attitude towards the uncircumcised, as the Gentiles were called by the Jews, and they, they looked up, down upon the Gentiles with this attitude that God never intended for them to have. The, uh, the commentator William Barclay says this about these two groups of people, the Jews and the Gentiles. He says the Jew had an immense contempt for the Gentile. The Gentiles, said the Jews, were created by God to be fuel for the fires of hell. God, they said, loves only Israel of all the nations that he has made. And then he, he goes on, he says, it was not even lawful to, to render help To a Gentile mother in her hour of sorest need, for that would simply be to bring another Gentile into the world. Until Christ came, the Gentiles were an object of contempt to the Jews. The barrier between them was absolute. If a Jewish boy married a Gentile girl or if a Jewish girl married a Gentile boy, the funeral of that Jewish boy or girl was carried out. Such contact with a Gentile was the equivalent of death. That's how, that's how strong the feelings were between the Jews and the Gentiles. And God had put a difference between Jews and Gentiles so that his purposes in salvation would be accomplished. But once those purposes were accomplished, once Christ came, once uh, people discovered that they they could truly be in Christ, there was no more difference. God wanted the differences erased. No more walls. And it was this lesson that was so very difficult for the early church to understand. Because for centuries, the Jews had been different from the Gentiles. Not only different in their religion, but they were different in how they dressed, what they ate, uh, the laws that governed them. And until Peter was instructed by the Holy Spirit to go to the Gentiles with this wonderful gospel of the grace of Jesus Christ. Until until then, the church had no problems. Jews did their thing, the Gentiles did their thing. But with the salvation of the Gentiles, when they began to experience what it really meant to be forgiven, forgiven, to experience the grace of Jesus Christ and finding salvation on the same terms as the Jewish people, now problems began to develop. The Jewish Christians reprimanded Peter for going to the Gentiles. Worse yet, eating with them. How could you do that? And Acts 15 tells us that there was a there were representatives of the churches that gathered for an important conference to determine the answer to this all important question. Must a Gentile become a Jew to become a Christian? Now those who still held tightly to their Jewish traditions said, well, of course they must be circumcised. But Peter and Paul understood that it wasn't circumcision of the flesh that saved you. But rather it was circumcision of the heart a changed heart. And so this conference in Jerusalem, you can read about this in Acts chapter 15, this conference uh, prayerfully and thankfully came to the conclusion that no, Gentiles did not have to become Jews to follow Christ. And, And I'll tell you what, Probably most every one of us in this room today ought to be very thankful for that because most of us are Gentiles. They said, no, Gentiles don't have to become Jews to become followers of Christ. They both are saved the same way by faith in Jesus Christ. And so the wall that had divided these two groups of people for centuries, the wall came down. And this is what Paul is talking about in this second chapter of Ephesians. So Paul says, and before we read on, let me just recap here. Paul says to these Ephesians, he says, now listen, remember where you came from. Remember what you were. And he lists five things there that we just read. He says, you were, without, you were separate from Christ. You, you were without Christ. Number two, he said, you were excluded from the blessings that were given to the Jews. Thirdly, you were not part of the covenants that God had made with the Jewish people. Fourthly, Paul said, you are without hope. And fifthly, he said, you are without God. Now, the heathens had a lot of gods. Pagans had a lot of gods, but they didn't know the true God. And Paul said, that's where you Gentiles were. That's what you were. But let's read on. Look at verse 13, chapter 2, Ephesians. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near ...by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. to the, to the Gentiles, he says, you were, but now, in Christ Jesus. You were far away, but now you have been brought near by the blood of Christ, by his death. You know, when Jesus died, we're told, the scriptures tell us that the veil, this, this, this tall, thick veil that separated the holy of holies from the outer court was torn in two from top to bottom, which meant that only God could do it. You know, if man tore it, he'd have to tear it from the bottom up. But it was torn from top to bottom. The wall of separation was literally torn down. The wall separating man from God, but also the wall separating man from man. In Christ, we become one. Verse 14 says, "For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility." I'm reminded of a song I don't know, maybe you sang it here a number of years ago now, but we used to sing, "He is our peace, who has broken down every wall. He is our peace." The end of verse 15 says his purpose. Speaking of God, God's purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two. Out of the Jew and the Gentile. Thus making peace and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. God made both Jew and Gentile into one new man. You know, it's interesting in the Greek language in which the New Testament was written originally in the Greek language, there are two, uh, there are two words for our word new. There is the word neos, which is N-E-O-S, and that that word is, simply means new in point of time. So, for instance, if we said, you know, uh, 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 if I held up a pencil and I said, "This pencil uh, was was uh, manufactured in uh, this plant, new this week," well, it, the pencil is new, but there are there are millions of them already out there, right? But there's another word for new, and it's the word kainos, K-A-I-N-O-S, which means new in point of quality. Something with, that is kainos is new in the sense that it, it brings into the world a new quality of thing which did not exist before. Which of those two words do you think Paul uses here? He uses the word kinos. He's saying that Jesus brings together the Jew and the Gentile and from them both produces one new kind of person. Now that's both interesting and significant. It is not that Jesus makes all Jews Gentiles or that he makes all Gentiles Jews. He produces a new kind of person out of both, although they remain Gentiles and they remain Jews. Uh, Chrysostom, the famous preacher of centuries ago, says that it is as if one should melt down a statue of silver and a statue of lead, and the two should come out gold. Jesus is into making something totally new by breaking down all the walls of distinctions. Now, let's bring this home this morning. Lest we think that that, that the Jews were the only people who put up barriers, who put up walls and shut people out, We would do well to remind ourselves today that this is still done today all over our world. Our world is famous for enormous walls that divide people. I got some pictures for you to see this morning. Let's put that first one up there, can you? That wall is in Peru. It divides, it separates the poor families from the more affluent neighbors on the other side of the wall. Next picture. In Belfast, Northern Ireland, enormous walls separate the Catholic from the Protestant quarters. Next picture. In Israel, large walls are everywhere, separating the Arab Muslims from the Jews. Next picture. That heavily fortified wall separates the people of North Korea from South Korea, many of them relatives. Last picture. This one you might recognize. This is the famous wall in Germany that separated East Germany from West Germany. That wall no longer exists. How many of you just watched when that wall went down? It was a great sight to see that wall demolished. But let me just say, you don't have to look far in our world today to find walls that divide people. Just look at our own country. You know, if we could take the time this morning, we we could come up with a lot of dividing walls, some of them brick and mortar, many of them more of the imaginary type that have been put up to separate people. You see, sin is the great separator in this world. It has been dividing people since the very beginning of human history. When Adam and Eve sinned, they were separated from God. And that was only the beginning. And that is why, that's why Paul talks about this, this idea of reconciliation. That's why reconciliation is so critical for all of us. We must be reconciled, first of all, to God. And once we have been reconciled to God, once we have discovered what it means to be in Christ, to be forgiven, to become part of his family, we can then understand the importance of living reconciled lives with other people. You know, practically speaking, this means that When we become a follower of Christ, when we we become in Christ, when we're in Christ, we may retain our cultural affinity, but it is no longer our primary identity. Rather, our primary identity is that we become followers of Christ. We are in Christ. You know, in Him... And I'm sure probably most in this room have discovered this. When you, know, when we are in Him, when we're in Christ, we are closer to our brothers and sisters in Christ than we are to those who may be very similar to us in how they look or or or, or their history or their culture or their position in life, but they are outside of Christ. And We find ourselves closer to brothers and sisters who we may be very different from, but we 're closer to them because we are in Christ. You know that truth has been brought home so vividly to me whenever I've had an opportunity to travel abroad on a missions trip. I saw uh, on the announcements that you 've got a missions trip coming up uh, here before long, and I hope that I hope uh, that you can many of you can have the opportunity to do that those are Incredible experiences. And if you've, if you've been fortunate enough to travel beyond your own culture and meet other believers, meet others who are in Christ, you, then you know what, what, what that feels like. You know, for me, whether it was Argentina or whether it was Aruba or Austria or Cambodia or Nigeria, there was an immediate sense a family, just because we all had Jesus Christ in common, even if we didn't speak the same language. And these people weren't, you know, they weren't just like family. They are family in Christ. And it's all because of what Jesus has done. He is the one that reconciles us, first of all, to God, he restores that relationship with God and then to one another. He is the one that has the power to blur our cultural differences, to take care of our arrogance, and to make us one. You know, our cultural differences may distinguish us, but they do not define us, and they should not divide God's people. Rita Snowden tells a story of some soldiers in France who brought the body of a dead comrade to a French cemetery to have him buried there. And the priest there told them gently that he was bound to ask them if their comrade had been a baptized adherent of the Roman Catholic Church. And these soldiers said, we, we don't know, you know, we don't know. And the priest said that he was very sorry, but in that case, he could not permit that soldier to be buried in his churchyard. And so these soldiers sadly took their comrade just outside the fence dug a grave, put him in the grave. The next day, they came back to check on the grave that they had dug. And to their astonishment, they they couldn't find it. There wasn't any sign. They could find no trace of a freshly dug grave. And as they were about to, to leave in bewilderment, the priests came to them. And he told them, he said his heart had been troubled because he had refused to allow their dead comrade to be buried in that churchyard. And because his heart was troubled, he he couldn't sleep. And so early in the morning, he had risen from his bed and with his own hands, he had moved the fence to include the body. Of that French soldier who had died for France. Now, hear me this morning. Jesus Christ doesn't just move the fence, he breaks it down. He breaks down the walls that divide us. And we dare not miss Paul's point in these verses that reconciliation. Of man to God and man to man are inseparably bound up in each other. You don't have one without the other. You know, if we have been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ, then we have no other path to pursue than reconciliation with our fellow man, and particularly with our brother and sister in Christ. Let me, let me wrap this up here with the words of Paul from 2 Corinthians chapter five. These are words that I suspect many of you know at least this first verse. 2 Corinthians chapter five, verse 17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message Of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf be reconciled to God. You know, our identity in Christ declares that we have been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ, through what Christ did on the cross, and because we have been reconciled, we are now the ambassadors of the message of reconciliation. Jesus died to make reconciliation possible. You and I must live to make the message of reconciliation personal. God's desire is that all mankind would be reconciled to Him through Jesus. But how can, how can anyone know unless they're told? How will they know that wonderful truth unless they're told? We are ambassadors of that truth. We speak for God. That's what the scripture says. We speak for God as His ambassadors, we make His appeal. To mankind. He makes his appeal. He makes his appeal to mankind. How? Through us. Through us. The question is, how well am I doing that? How well am I in proclaiming the message of reconciliation? First of all, of man to God. And then ultimately, man to man. Let me close this morning with the words of John Stott, a great writer, a great theologian. He said, we need to get the failures of the church on our conscience. To feel the offense of Christ and the world which these failures are, to weep over the credibility gap between the church's talk and the church's walk to repent of our readiness to excuse and even condone our failures and to determine to do something about it. And then he concludes with this he said, I wonder if anything is more urgent today for the honor of Christ and for the spread of the gospel than that the church should be and should be seen to be what by God's purpose and Christ's achievement it already is. A single new humanity. A model of human community. A family of reconciled brothers and sisters who love their father and love each other. Only then will the world believe in Christ as peacemaker. Only then will God receive the glory due to his name. Let's bow our hearts in prayer this morning. You know, as we pray today, this is a wonderful opportunity for you you've never been reconciled to God if you don't know what it's like to actually be forgiven to have those sins wiped away and to have a fresh start as we pray this morning There's no better opportunity for you to just say, God, I may not understand all of this, but I know that I I need to be reconciled to you. There's this distance between you and me, God. And I want that distance to be gone. I want to be reconciled to you. As we pray today, if you ask God to reconcile himself to you, reconcile you to him. God doesn't have to be reconciled to us. We need to be reconciled to him through Jesus Christ. If you ask him, you'll be reconciled. That's the promise of his word. And there may be others of us here today that we really need to check our hearts. You know, I, We may have been reconciled to God but we've got some hard feelings. We've got some, some walls that we've not torn down. We've not allowed God to tear down between us and others, whoever, whatever they may be. Let's ask God this morning to help us discover what it is for him to take both of us and make one new creation. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word this morning. I thank you for that wonderful passage in Ephesians where Paul has laid it out so clearly that dividing walls are never God's plan. That God delights in tearing down those walls. First of all, between us and himself, and Lord, I pray today for any man or woman in this room or maybe watching online today of any age, young or old. And they would be honest enough to say there's a, there's a distance between God and me. And I want to be reconciled to God. Lord, I pray that you'll reach into that heart this morning and tear down that wall and let that individual, let that man or woman, that young person, that elderly person, let them be reconciled to you today. To know what it is to be forgiven, to be set free, to be in Christ. To begin to understand that that's a huge part of our identity, that we are in Christ. Christ and Lord I pray for all of us in this room today many I know Lord have maybe long ago they, 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 they took care of this reconciliation issue with you And Lord if there are any dividing walls that we have allowed to be there in our lives I pray that you'll give us the courage give us the boldness Give us the desire this morning to say, Father, that wall needs to come down. Whatever I have held against a brother or sister in Christ, whatever I have held against someone in in our community, someone in the workplace, someone in my family, God, help me. Help me to take that wall down. let reconciliation take place. You are the God of reconciliation, and Lord, you've given to us that message of reconciliation. May we be faithful with that message. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you.